If you turn in your copy of God's Word and turn to Luke chapter 16, Luke chapter 16, uh, we're going to be looking at several verses this morning, verses 14 through 18. Uh, I'll read the text of Scripture, I'll pray, and then we'll dive into God's Word uh, together. Luke chapter 16, verses 14 through 18. Uh, And as you guys turn there, I would just ask you to continue to pray for Vacation Bible School. Uh, We had the Lord uh, really show up in many, many powerful ways this week. Uh, but we know that you know, we plant uh, and, and we water, but only God causes the increase. So we pray that God, uh, who is the God of the harvest, would harvest these young hearts for salvation. Well, let's read God's word, Luke chapter 16, verses 14 through 18. The Pharisees, who were lovers of money, heard all these things, and they ridiculed him. And he said to them, Who are you are those who justify yourselves before men, but God knows your hearts. For what is exalted among men is an abomination in the sight of God. The law and the prophets were until John. Since then the good news of the kingdom of God is preached, and everyone forces his way into it. But it is easier for heaven and earth to pass away than for one dot of the law to become void. Everyone who divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery. And he who marries a woman divorced from her husband commits adultery. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your holiness, your righteous character, for your steadfast love and mercy. God, you are so holy. You are so majestic and so much bigger than we are. And God, when we enter into your presence, you... um, Help us be confronted with our own finitude, God, how we are finite and that we are sinners. So, God, we come first asking for forgiveness of our sins, the sins of omission and the sins of commission this past week. God, we, we ask that you forgive us for how we have mocked you, how we have ridiculed your ways. God, how we have trusted in ourselves, that we have tried to exalt ourselves before men. God, I pray that we would um, be awakened this morning by the power of the Holy Spirit to our sin. And God, that we would cast our sins upon Christ. God, that we would reason together that though our sins were like scarlet, they would be as white as snow. That they are cast as far as the east is from the west through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ because he finished our work of redemption on the cross so we stand forgiven. So God, we thank you for forgiveness that we have through Christ. God, we we lift up those in our congregation who are hurting. We pray specifically for widows this morning. God, those who um, continue to grieve the passing of their beloved spouse. God, I pray that we would never forget them, that they would know that they are never forgotten by the people of Park. God, I pray that you would minister to them by your grace, Lord. Remind them of your great love. God, I pray that you would put in them a desire and a, a deep longing for glory that one day they will be reunited with you and those who have gone ahead. God, we pray for the family of Earl Jackson, a longtime member who passed away this past week. God, we pray that you would minister to his family. Lord, we also pray for our city. We want our, our city to be uh, known for the proclamation of the gospel. God, we pray that you would purify uh, churches. To that end, God, we pray for uh, Scott Davis at Northside Baptist Church this morning. We pray as he stands in the pulpit and preaches your holy word that 
that people would be changed and refined and formed more into your glory. Uh, God, we pray for our nation, and we pray specifically this morning for our president. God, we pray that you would give him a heart of wisdom, God, that you would reveal to him, through the power of your Holy Spirit, God, what is truth and what is error. God, I pray that you would just humble him, humble him by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. God, we pray that he would use his office to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. So God, I pray that you would be with him. I also pray that you'd be with our own hearts this morning as we study your word, Father. You know what we bring to the table this past week. You know the distractions going on in our minds right now, Father. You know how um, we have been tempted this past week to drift away from you. So God, I pray now that you would make this, uh, this, this moment a holy moment, a sacred moment when God's people are gathering together to hear God's word proclaimed with authority, God, the authority that is not vested in a man, but is vested in your holy word, the word that became flesh. So God, I pray, Lord, that you would allow us now to to submit to your holy authority. God, I pray that our hearts, the intentions and the thoughts of our hearts would be exposed through this living and active word. God, I pray that I may decrease, that you may increase, that you take all glory and honor this moment. God, we ask that you would just bless your people with your word. We ask this through our crucified and risen Savior, the one who has given us the victory, Jesus Christ. Amen. On August 23rd, 1775, King George III of England wrote a proclamation of suppressing rebellion and sedition to to their American colonies. Listen to what the king said to the American colonists back in 1775. I quote, Whereas many of our subjects endeavors parts of our colonies and plantations in North America, misled by dangerous and ill-designing men and forgetting the allegiance which they owe to the power that has protected and supported them after various disorderly acts committed in disturbance of the public peace to the obstruction of lawful commerce and to the oppression of our loyal subjects carrying on the same, having at length proceeded to open an avowed rebellion by arraying themselves in a hostile manner to withstand the execution of the law, to traitorously be preparing, ordering, and levying war against us. And whereas there is no reason to apprehend that such rebellion hath been much promoted and encouraged by the traitorous correspondence, counselors, and comforters of divers, wicked and desperate persons within this realm, our royal proclamation hereby declaring that not only all our officers, civil and military, are obliged to exert their utmost endeavors to suppress their rebellion and to bring the traitors to justice, and that all our subjects of this realm and the dominions thereunto belonging are bound by law to the aiding and assisting in the suppression of such rebellion. That's a, that's a, I wish I could say it in an English accent. It would probably have much more weight to it. Uh, but regardless of whatever we feel was going on in our colonies, that we're looking at it from this side, we wanted our, 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 we rejoice in the rebellion. The bottom line is, is the king gave a declaration. The king gave a proclamation to his people. And the people are left with two options. Rebel 
or submit? Rebel or submit? That's really the only proclamation that, you know, anytime the king makes a proclamation, that's the only real response. Well, we know the history books and we know what, what the rebels did. Most of them rebelled against England and founded our great nation. But if we're not careful, what makes America so great can often be one of our greatest downfalls. Uh, one of the things that the reason why our country was founded uh, was because they wanted to hold the king accountable. You know, one of the great privileges of our, our constitution is that we have the privilege by our vote and by how we live to hold our leaders accountable for the choices and decisions that they make. It's our job to question our leaders. I've been reminded uh, this week uh, as we've been studying First uh, Peter in Bible school uh, let me read First uh, Peter 15 and then First Peter 3:15 and then First Peter 3:16 because I want you to hear something here. It says, "But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks for you a reason for the hope that is in you." Now, many times we read that verse and we stop there, but in the scriptures there's a semicolon, there's a pause. It's not a, not a period. There's a, there's a pause there, and this is what verse 16 says having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. I say this, church, um, we as a culture want, as a country, want to hold our leaders accountable. But we must do so with gentleness and respect. The problem with our country is that we are a country of mockers. We mock authority. We mock anything that is put out on the internet. We mock those who are in our leadership. There is not a lot of respect, even within the church, in terms of how we speak about our government. We are a nation of mockers. Those who ridicule those who are in authority. You see it all over. Uh, the, some of the, the people that you probably listen to most on, on Fox News, they may say some very wise things, but they say it in a spirit of ridicule and mockery. See, if you live in a country that loves to hold people accountable, they, they think it is there is divine right to mock people. Um, can I just tell you, it's not healthy for your soul. And it's very dangerous for the church. Because if we take that same thing where we mock our leaders, what's the next person who we're going to mock? We're going to mock God and his authority. America in general, we are very an anti-authority society. We don't like authority. We don't like that the Bible says that we can and cannot do certain things. Uh, we don't like churches that say that we can and cannot do certain things because we're trying to hold people accountable to God's holy, inerrant, infallible word. So the question that we have to ask ourselves this morning is when the king makes his declaration, the king of kings, the Lord Jesus Christ, do we mock him, do we ridicule him, or do we submit? The king makes a declaration, you do one of two things, you rebel or you submit. So we're going to look this morning at the king's declaration, the king's declaration. That first point, if you want to follow along on the, on the bulletin, provide you 
on the back of the bulletin. The first is the king's condemning declaration. The king's condemning declaration. Look back with me again in verse 14 and 15. The Pharisees, who were lovers of money, heard all these things. Now, what are these things? We talked about this last week. The these things are those who, who spend their money, spend their resources, not to accumulate wealth in this world, but to prepare their heavenly dwelling, to give of their wealth in this world, to send it ahead, to store up treasures in heaven, where moth and rust do not destroy, and thieves do not break in and steal. So when the Pharisees heard these things, that you should live for eternity, that you should spend your money for eternity. When they heard these things, what did they do? They ridiculed him. And he said to them, You are those who justify yourselves before men, but God knows your hearts. For whatever exalted is exalted among men is an abomination in the sight of God. Uh, one of the things that I pray happens to you weekly when you come to our gatherings is that your heart would be exposed. Uh, we talked about this in Sunday school. Hebrews 4.12 is that the Word of God is living and active. It is sharper than a two-edged sword. It cuts through soul and spirit, bone and marrow, revealing the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. Why? Because one day we're going to be laid bare before God. God's not going to primarily judge us only on our external behavior. He's going to judge us on the attitude of our hearts. And when the king, the Lord Jesus Christ, makes a declaration of how you should spend your money, that's, that's getting up in your, as, as I would say a couple years ago, it's getting all up in my Kool-Aid, right? I don't, tell, I, don't, I don't mind you telling me how to live, but you know, tell me certain things here. But when you tell me how I can have to spend my money, well, that's going to affect all of my life, isn't it? It's going to affect the home I purchase, the, the things, the clothes I wear, the, the show, I mean, the, the, the entertainment I purchase. It's all, it's going to affect my whole life. You got to back up. And that's what happened here. The, the, the Pharisees in their heart saying, Jesus, you need to back up. You need to get off of us, right? Why? It says it right there in the text. They were lovers of money. Now, we know from the scriptures that the love of money is the root of all kinds of evils. It causes them to drift and, and move away from the faith, to ruin and destruction, the scripture says. And this is grace, isn't it? Anytime your heart is exposed and you realize your struggles, most of us think that's a bad thing. But guess what, beloved? It's a good thing. Because when your heart is exposed, where can you turn? You can turn to Christ. You can, you can see your need. This is why um, many, many Sundays I walk at the door, you'll say, good word, preacher. You really stepped on my toes. You stepped on my toes, preacher. Well, if I step on your toes, what am I really trying to do? Right? I'm trying to take the sin in your life, and I want to squash the sin in your life so that you can become a more holy vessel for the Lord Jesus Christ. This is what I do when I prepare. I study this and I, I stomp all over my heart that my heart would be exposed, that we would stand before God holy and pure. Look what verse 15 says. He says to the Pharisees, you are those who justify yourselves before men. Isn't this exactly what the, the Pharisees, how they lived their life? They lived their life to show everyone else how excellent their obedience was. They said, well, 
We tithe on all our money. We tithe on our, our mint, cumin, and dill. You know what we also do? We also fast twice a week, right? I am so glad that I'm not like other men. Luke 18. This idea of this Pharisee, they, they constantly try to justify themselves before men. And beloved, don't we do the same thing? I mean, I see this so often in, in my own life. Um, when someone asks me a question of what I think about someone, you know, I, I give my opinion, but I want to give a lot of qualifications, right? Well, I, I, may, I don't like everything he says. Let me just kind of qualify that here, here, and here, right? I, I think better of me. Think more of me than, than, than I want you to. Um, it's, how, it's how we phrase things. It's how we, we want people to think of us by our external obedience. And this is what happens. This is one of the greater, greatest dangers in the church is that when you try to justify yourself before others, you become a mockery. Because you think that you're better than others by what you do. And how dangerous is that into the life of the church? You look around and you say, well, these people aren't dressed like me. I must really love God because of what I wear. Or the opposite could be both those who dress up and those who dress down. Look at how free I am to worship dress casually before others. You see how the heart can take anything and change it and twist it so that we can try to justify ourselves before others. Why I am better than them. And that is the exact opposite of the spirit of the law. What, 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 when, the, when the Pharisees, the scribe, the, the lawyer asked Jesus, what are the two greatest commandments? What did God say? Love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. When we try to justify ourselves, it cuts extremely against trying to love God with our whole hearts and trying to love our neighbor as ourselves. What we need to do, what does it say in Romans chapter 12? We need to outdo one another in showing honor. We need to not look only to our own interests, but the interest of others. Humble ourselves. Look what he says here at the end of verse 15. For what is exalted among men is an abomination in the sight of God. I could probably spend a, a three-part sermon series just on that one verse. Because so much of our culture um, in the church wants to be like the world. They want to see what is exalted in the sight of men, exalted what is inside of the world. And God says, it's an abomination in my sight. It is repulsive to me that you want to be like the world. That's a strong word, beloved. So we have to ask ourselves in terms of how we live, who do you want to be like? Who do you want to gain approval from? Do you want to gain approval from our society, from your parents or from your children who may be walking outside of God's will? Or do you want to live for God and his glory? The king makes a declaration of how you should live with your money. The Pharisees rebelled against him and ridiculed and mocked him, sneered at him, turned up their nose at the living God. And they exalted that which man exalts. This happens a lot. I see in, um, I won't even go there. I'm, I'm short on time. The second, the second thing, right? The king's coming declaration. The king's coming declaration. Look what, how Jesus turns here. Um, verse 16 says, The law and the prophets were until John since then, 
the good news of the kingdom of God is preached. This whole passage, when you look at it, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. You know, it's like Jesus talking about money and eternal wealth. And he's, at the end of the chapter, he's talking about money, riches, and heaven and hell and how we use our resources. Then he has these, these passages about the law and, and marriage right here in the middle. It just doesn't make a whole lot of sense. We have to figure out why is he bringing this up here. Uh, I think what Jesus is trying to say is that there is a, a coming kingdom, a kingdom that is different than the kingdom of the law. He says, the law and the prophets were until John, John the Baptist. John the Baptist ushered in the new age of the kingdom. Depending on who you talk to, John is either the last Old Testament prophet or the first New Testament prophet. I'd probably lean towards the first New Testament prophet because it says John came since then. The good news of the kingdom of God is preached. And what is the good news of the kingdom of God? It's exactly the opposite of what the Pharisees were living for. The Pharisees were trying to justify themselves before others. They were trying to say, look, I deserve God's approval based on what I do, based on my behaviors, based on my church attendance, based on my giving. I deserve God's approval. Is that the good news of the kingdom of God? The good news of the kingdom of God is you deserve wrath. You deserve to be punished in a literal hell consciously for all eternity. That's what you deserve. Listen to what Romans chapter 3 says. Romans chapter 3 verse 19. Now we know whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world held accountable to God. For by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight since through the law came knowledge of sin you see that no human being is justified by what we do justified means to be be made right to be declared not guilty no human being is made right by what you do that that was the message of the old testament that was the message of the law and the prophets the pharisees who should have known the law didn't get it And many people in modern day church think the same way. We think that based on what we do, we're approved by God. Beloved, you're not approved by what you do. You are approved by what Christ has done. He died for you so you could live. That's what the the, Romans moves in, that great passage, Romans 3, where it says, um, 3.20, For now, the righteousness of God has been made manifest, it's it's, it's, it's shown Apart from the law and the prophets, the righteous that comes through God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. For we have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God, but have been justified by His grace as a gift through His blood. That's the good news of the kingdom of God is preached. Before there was John and the condemnation waiting for the Messiah. The good news of the kingdom of God is the kingdom has come. The Messiah has come. He has rescued you from your sin and death and given you hope for a new life in Christ for all eternity because he died for you. And that's good news. I deserve wrath. I deserve to go to hell because of my rebellion against the king's declaration. Yet God saves me. Not because I'm worthy, but because he's worthy. And because he's loving 
He's merciful. He's gracious. Look into that second half, it says, which is a really interesting way Luke phrased this. The good news of the kingdom of God is preached and everyone forces his way into it. Well, pastor, you just said I'm saved by grace. I'm saved by Jesus Christ's blood alone on the cross. What does this mean I have to force my way into the kingdom? That doesn't seem to make a lot of sense. Well, here's what I think it means. What I think it means is that you have to make a violent attack against your own flesh. See, the, the, the attack is not outward. The battle is not against flesh and blood, but the spiritual realms. We have the, the, the sinful flesh that's trying to keep us away from God, trying to pull us back to say, I'm okay, I'm okay, I'm okay, I don't need the Lord, I've got this, look at what I'm doing, I'm okay, I'm okay. But that, that's, that's, that we have to make a violent assault against that way of thinking, that we trust that we bank our whole lives on what Christ has done in his death and his resurrection. We have to violently attack the wrong way of thinking. And then he says this in verse 17, but it's easier for heaven and earth to pass away than for one dot of the law to become void. You know, many would say that the law is over. Christ has fulfilled the law. Well, Christ has fulfilled the law, the ceremonial law, the law of the sacrifices, because he was the great high priest. He was the Lamb of God. He's the one who entered into the Holy of Holies and made sacrifice for sins once and for all. So in one sense, the law was fulfilled in Christ, but in another sense, the moral law continues. Look at this next point, the last one, the king's continuing declaration. The king's continuing declaration. A lot of you have been studying um, in Sunday school the Ten Commandments. God's moral law. Is the moral law still relevant today? Is it still true? Look what this passage says in verse 18. Everyone who divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery. And he who marries a woman divorced from her husband commits adultery. Doesn't it seem kind of random? Why why, why is that there? (laughs) You know, um, this is one of those topics that um, when you start talking about divorce and remarriage, uh, adultery, um, it's very sticky uh, because we live in a fallen world, don't we? Uh, and if I were to ask you to raise your hands, those of you here who have either been divorced, have experienced a divorce uh, in your family or with your friends, everyone would raise their hands. We have all experienced the, um, the gut-wrenching level of uh, pain that happens with a divorce. And I would say this, based on what Max read in Deuteronomy 24, that God hates divorce. God hates divorce. God never wants divorce. And I think right here when you read this passage, what Luke is trying to say is the moral commandments of the law still stand. Yes, we are free in Christ. Yes, we are are justified only by Christ's finished work on the cross. But God still calls us to live with integrity, live with morality, live by the standard of the law. The law has not changed in terms of the the, the command that God has given us. We are now able to, um, by the power of the Spirit, leaning on Him to fulfill the law ourselves by living in holiness and righteousness. I'm not going to teach much on, on divorce remarriage here. But can I just say this? If you or anybody you know is contemplating divorce, Can you find help first? 
before you go down the track and say, this is what I'm going to do, you know, stop and heed God's word first. Search and study the scriptures. What does God say about divorce and what does God say about remarriage? The problem with too many of us is that we make our own decisions and then we look, for, look to the Bible to justify our actions. It kind of sounds like what Jesus is saying here, isn't it? Trying to justify ourselves before God. Jesus says anything that is exalted before men is an abomination in the sight of God. These are not easy things to deal with, beloved. Uh, but this is God's word and we want to be truthful to all of God's word. So the king makes a declaration. The king made a declaration in uh, early America. Will you choose to side with England or will you side with the rebels? Will you know how history ends there? Uh, I guess this morning the question is how does history end with you? Uh, when you face the declaration of the king of the Lord Jesus Christ, what will you do? Will you submit to his authority regardless of how hard the message is? How difficult it may be for you to understand. Will you submit because you trust the one who's giving the declaration? Or will you rebel and try to justify yourselves before men? And justify and and love that which is exalted before men? And be an abomination in the sight of God? God came to be cursed so that we would not have to be. Our God is good. Our God is gracious. Hear the king's declaration. And today when you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion, but to submit to our heavenly authority. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your grace and your mercy. Father, um, I just pray for, for my heart, for the hearts of those who heard this message, that they would submit to the, the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ, him and him alone. Lord, when the king speaks, I pray we listen. Help us listen with obedience. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.